Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute. I'm your host, Will Francis, and today I'll be talking to Caitlin Seeley, all about email marketing and its role in integrated digital marketing campaigns. Caitlin is Head of Digital Marketing at Drift, a conversational marketing platform best known for its chatbots and widgets that you'll see all over the web, as well as a suite of other innovative marketing tools. Caitlin has been in the game for over a decade, working across all digital marketing channels, predominantly for software companies in the US and also in the UK. Caitlin, welcome to the podcast. Let's start by just explaining where we're at with email marketing, what's happening, and what are the trends that we're seeing in this space? For sure. Um, So email marketing is one of those channels that it's been around for a very long time in terms of channels that marketers are used to and have worked with across the world, right? But it's changed a lot and our use of it hasn't necessarily kept up with that pace of change. I think more than ever, marketers in different businesses around the world are trying to engage with all of their buyers and customers online, right? You know, they really want to get in front of and directly to, you know, their target customer as much as they can. And email is a great channel for that because it goes exactly to your desired recipient at that right moment of intent. Um, But we're seeing that one of the big things that's changed with email is that a lot of companies aren't necessarily thinking about it as a piece of their broader overall marketing strategy or how it connects to the kinds of messages that your buyers are getting from other channels. Um, it kind of makes email more of like a, a one-off point of engagement when it, I think, could have a lot more potential when you connect it to a broader campaign or message. Right, that's interesting. So do you think that um, do you think that that's just a widespread mistake that a lot of marketers are currently making it, you, using it as this kind of standalone megaphone to just blast messages out there? Megaphone's a really great word choice to describe it. And I think we can all relate to it, right? If you were to open your inbox at any point in time, whether it's your work email or your personal email, I think we can all see some pretty clear examples of just really generic one size fits all messaging, right? And if anything, one thing that's really changed, you know, since 2020 and over time is buyers crave a certain level of personalization. You know, they really want to be seen and understood by your brand, whether that's, you know, a business to consumer brand like Netflix or a television streaming service, right, that's recommending personalized curated content to you, Um, you know, a a music or audio platform, right, like a Spotify or an Apple Music, you know, they're really delivering curated content, playlists, recommendations for you. Buyers are starting to expect the same from B2B brands. You know, they have a very certain pain point or problem that they're trying to solve. And they want to really hear how you specifically can help them solve or learn about that very specific problem. Um, So an email that presents a tons of opportunities to really nurture your prospects, you know, ask thoughtful questions, even in an email, in terms of, you know, does this topic resonate with you, right? Um, You know, do you have any questions about this offer, this webinar that you attended with us recently? Um, It enables you to kind of take your email programs from a promotional channel for your offers, your content, and your campaigns into more of a true conversational channel so that you can really be engaging with your buyers and prospects at a one-to-one level um, with just a much higher degree of personalization. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because that seems to me to reflect this big macro trend that we've seen in recent years of a move towards more customer-centric behavior, really, on the part of brands where 
rather than, yeah, this kind of traditional brands just shouting down at people. It's really putting the customer in the middle and making them the kind of centre of this, I guess, hub of, of conversations happening across social and email and elsewhere. Do you, do you think that's basically what's happening? I couldn't agree more. You know, I think that, you know, that year the whole world locked down was really the impetus to like action on that trend, which has been building for probably the past decade, I would say, in terms of people really wanting to feel heard and seen and have that kind of more conversational marketing component, regardless if it's an email, an ad, an event, whatever kind of marketing you're doing. I think when we all had to move to purely digital channels, it kind of really required us all as marketers, right, or anyone in a go-to-market role to really adapt. How are you going to use your email channel knowing that you no longer have the physical events you once did to engage with your buyers at that one-to-one level? And now that, you know, we are doing some things in person again and able to travel, you know, and kind of connect with our buyers and our customers in the quote-unquote real world, if you want to call it that, Um, that doesn't mean people no longer want to hear from you in the digital channels. They're really turning their first still now more than ever as their first touch point with your brand. So you want to put your best foot forward on all those channels even more now than before. Absolutely. I I like the way you use the words heard and seen, actually. Um, There is that sense, isn't it, that people want to feel, uh, yeah, just acknowledged Heard and seen. I can't really put it any other, uh, any better way, really. Rather than just made to feel like one of a million, just this kind of faceless mass of the audience, you know. Um, and you're right. Personalization can definitely help with that. So, just thinking, uh, you know, about the about the kind of broad marketing strategy. Where does email kind of fit in in the various stages of the marketing funnel, in your view, today? I think email is one of the few channels that can really span the entire marketing funnel or customer lifecycle, whatever you call it, from your very first interaction with a brand to like when you're talking with the sales team, right, to your purchase point, and then afterwards to your onboarding and kind of expansion opportunities as a customer. Email is one of those channels that's very uniquely suited to deliver a relevant, timely message, no matter where you are in that journey, and to really almost like hold your hand as you go through it, right? Introducing content that would be relevant and useful and helpful, right, to a buyer at that specific stage. And also, it's very uniquely suited, too, to incorporate everything you're learning across all the other channels as well. You know, if you're seeing a certain person is really engaging with a certain topic of content on your website, Email is a great channel to build in some automation to send them more on that topic, right? You know, and kind of adapt to everything you're learning. That's interesting. I've got a question for you, actually. I'm curious about this. Um, you know, there's like basically two, like t- in terms of time, there's two different ways to send people email. There's send everyone a newsletter on the first Tuesday of the month. So, you know, everybody's on the same schedule. And then there's life cycle email where you send someone email in relation to the day that they signed up or first downloaded your lead magnet. So, you know, three days later, they get this, a week later, they get this, a month later, they get this. Do you have an opinion on if one of those is the right way to message people through email or is it a blend of them or? I think it's got to be both. You know, if you kind of put yourself in a buyer's shoes, right, you know, they want to know about the most relevant and helpful content to them at the point where it's going to be most helpful. So for example, if you're putting on like a a really huge event, right? Um, Or a really important webinar that has a specific date to it, it makes sense to invite 
everyone who would be, you know, potentially interested in that event at the same time, really close to when that event might be occurring. That's kind of a classic playbook you might run for, you know, webinar, event invitations, follow-ups, reminders, that sort of a play. I think that those sorts of offers always have to have a really time-based component to them. However, outside of that, you know, personally, we don't do a lot of, you know, you might call it like a blast marketing play outside of those sorts of offers here at Drift. We've really built our email program to be very like action-based based on when someone's actually taking action on your website and then enrolling them in kind of a progressive nurturing program, which send date is going to be dynamic based on when they're engaging with you um, and also where they're located in terms of different time zones and sending like that. You know, it's really easy to scale things like user-friendly time zones, depending on where you're located. Um, different kinds of spelling, right? Languages even or translations can be really important too. And you can accomplish that in a nurture program much better than you could and send sort of a one-off offer. Yeah. So yes, you're right. So in terms of nurturing leads, that specifically really is all about, as you used to call it, action-based, um, triggered uh, email. Okay. So let's just zoom in on that middle of funnel a, a little bit more. What what tactics would you recommend someone deploy for nurturing leads? Let's say I'm gathering leads through like free downloads of templates or something on my website. What's the best way to go about nurturing those people over time, do you think? I would really start with kind of taking a look at your audience and how you're going to define that middle of the funnel for you and your business. Every business is different. Um, a really common way to do it is kind of to start to understand, okay, what are the kinds of content offers, landing pages, right, that might represent someone is at that funnel stage? Is it a certain template or calculator that you might have available to help people quantify the value of a solution like yours, right, or, or start to use it at some basic level? Is it a case study? You know, people who are learning and reading about what your customers are doing and where they're sharing success. And you can start by identifying, you know, okay, what are the two to three conversion points that are most influential at that minimal funnel stage. And then start there with your nurture program, right? Think of a series of like, say, two to three emails, maybe you space them out one a week. They're going to follow activity on that conversion event. So it kind of adds that element of like recency based on the buyer, again, making them feel seen and heard of, oh yeah, I, I did do that, right? I engaged with that piece of content. I took advantage of that offer. And now the company's trying to help me understand how I could even get more from it or use it perhaps or share it with my team, right? Um, and when you're building a nurture like that as a marketer, you know, say it is like a very kind of straightforward email program where you're going to send one email a week for the three or four weeks following that conversion event, make sure you're talking to your sales team too about what are they doing to follow up with the people who also download that conversion event so that your nurture programs are very complementary to each other. It can be very frustrating as a buyer if you're getting like a set number of emails from a marketing team, but then you also have someone from sales reaching out at a very similar cadence with very different messaging and offers. There's oftentimes a lot of opportunity for you to just simplify everything with like one nurture program that might appear to be sending from your sales rep, right? Um, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone, so to speak, right? Or accomplishing two goals at once. When you kind of take that broader view of, all right, if the real goal is to engage people who download this conversion event, what is that going to mean from a marketing email program and also a sales follow-up email program? 
Yeah, and I suppose that just means marketing and sales have got to kind of get along and, and work well together and, you know. It's hard to do. <laughs> Hello, a quick reminder from me that if you're enjoying our podcast series, why not become a member of the DMI so that you can enjoy loads more content from webinars and case studies to toolkits and more real-life insights from the world of digital marketing. Head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com forward slash ahead of the game to sign up for free. Now back to the podcast. So let's then talk, think a bit more about how that integrates um, with other channels like how in you know in your work at drift how do you see what we've talked about that nurturing of leads and using email as as a channel um how does that best integrate with our other digital marketing channels do you think great question and i think it really starts with thinking about and considering the different kinds of tactics and email programs possible when you're planning a campaign right at the very start So say you might only have like one campaign that runs throughout the course of the year, or maybe you're an organization with like 20 or more campaigns running every single quarter. Whatever your team structure is like, you really want to kind of think through like, all right, conceptually, what audience are we going to try to reach for the next foreseeable point in time? What's the messaging, the offers, the campaigns we're going to engage them with? And start from there in terms of where is the email channel best suited And how can I amplify the work being done in other channels with an email program, right? Or a nurture program or something of that nature. A great example would be, you know, say you are going to publish a really influential report for your industry, right? Maybe you're in the process of collecting some third-party data or running surveys and polls to really understand what people in your industry are wanting and what their challenges are. Maybe, you know, you're planning to do some advertising, or social media outreach, you know, around that report or offer, you could insert the email channel there to not just promote, right, the end report and offer itself, but also to re-engage and nurture the people who are going to download it through all of those other channels combined. A lot of marketers skip that step. They kind of assume like, all right, I'm going to use email to launch a certain campaign, right, or communicate a certain message at a certain point in time. And they kind of skip over email's big superpower to re-engage and nurture people along a customer journey and don't necessarily like think that post-conversion experience through. That's where you're going to start to see a lot more ROI, not only from your email program, but also from your campaigns holistically because you're able to like extend the life of that conversion, that event, that point of interest. Yeah, and I suppose... You know, on paper, if I'm if I'm understanding you right, on you know, like when you think about the, the the cost of this, to once you've got someone's email address to reach them, whether they've converted or not, you know, leading up to conversion, to every time you reach them is costing a fraction of what it would cost to repeatedly reach them through other channels. Exactly, you know, email's free, right? You know, once you've kind of gone through that work to kind of get people interested in your brand and you have that email address and you can market to it, which is certainly another piece of the email channel for data privacy and its impact there, um, email becomes a no-brainer. That's an interesting thing because I'm going to, you know, stab a wild guess that you uh, guys at Drift are kind of all set to capitalize on the the boom and interest in first-party data. Definitely. Right. Um, and uh, we've our listeners have heard plenty about this. We've done episodes about it, but for anyone who doesn't know, long story short is that um, using third-party data to identify and reach our audience is going to get harder for a variety of reasons, most notably because 
the big web browsers are um, going about the process of phasing that out, technology out. Um, so there's more pressure on marketers to gather our own data rather than rely on people like Facebook and Google as a broker to reach audiences. Right. So what do you tell people, what are you telling people currently about a first party data strategy or approach? I think it definitely changes how you would approach any kind of marketing, right? And email is very specifically impacted because as a marketer, you have to put much more thought and intention than ever when it comes to acquiring that email address, right? To use a very marketing term or the flip side of it is to get a person out there in the real world genuinely interested in hearing more from your brand, right? Depending on the kind of language you want to do. Now we seeing the tactics to do that change because, you know, there's the 10% off your first order and download a free temp. I mean, are the tactics sort of staying pretty much the same to gather those email addresses in the first place? They really are. And that's, I think, a very frustrating part, not only for as marketers kind of, you know, seeing what other people are doing in the email channel, but also for your buyer and consumer, they're going to get annoyed by those kinds of offers and that kind of messaging in the email channel because they hear it nonstop, like a megaphone to use that word all day long. I think one way to change that script or flip the narrative can be to think of email as a channel to start a conversation with your buyer. And the funny thing is, is that if you ask a question in an email, people will reply to you. Um, it's something we've tested here at Drift, and it's something that's really helped us change our first party data strategy too, right? You know, if you know, say someone attended an event, right? You could send a classic traditional follow-up email saying something along the lines of, it's so great to see you there. Click here to book time with our team to learn more. Or you could end that email with what we call a conversational CTA, which is asking a question and suggesting an action at once. So, you know, what was your favorite session at the event? What did you think of the webinar? What's one best practice in this book that you're most excited to implement at your company? Um, what drove you to download this? And then suggest a next step, which could be, you know, uh, another piece of content on the same topic. It could be schedule a meeting. We'd love to talk about this with you. But people will reply. And in those replies, you can get a lot of data and information around like, hey, their biggest challenge is X. You know what I mean? I'm going to find a way to like document that and share it with my sales teams that we again can provide that kind of contextualized follow-up over time in a way that balances first-party data needs with like real actual demonstrable behavior and action someone's taken. Yeah, that's interesting. Could you record that those responses in the CRM itself, like so that I could segment by that in future? You can. Um, Drift and other marketing technology platforms will offer, you know, technology to help you do that at scale, but you could definitely create a field. Very similar to how your sales team might create a field, right, in their CRM, you know, after they get off a real call with the prospect, you know, they have some notes, they document what was said and done. There's certain things you can do in the email to look for certain keywords, right? Um, or your team can kind of document in general, right? If people do reply, it pops up in your real email, email inbox and not like a no reply email. Um, and you can have someone on your team kind of filtering through their responses. Yeah, yeah. Um, because that's that's interesting. You know, I think the interesting opportunity for, from my perspective with first party data, not just getting people's email addresses, but finding out they're just their preferences or if I'm a fashion retailer, finding out like their shoe size or their favorite color or whether they're going on vacation this year. I don't know, just, do you know what I mean? And getting more of that kind of context that you can use to be more relevant to them that's um, 
the, the more subtle stuff, really, I think. Yeah. And there's tons of data out there from recent studies, too, that show like I think one study from McKinsey recently, which is like a, a large consulting firm, proved that buyers are more 80 percent more likely to buy from brands that are delivering a personalized and relevant experience. Um, the thought there is that they're really able to connect, right, what you're doing to what they're hoping to achieve. So it pays off in terms of if you are able to capture that data and turn it into increasingly personalized email nurtures, email campaigns, whatever the case may be, you're going to get higher engagement rates. And, you know, in reality, what you're doing is just treating people more like people in terms of how you'd have a conversation with them if you were together sitting in the same room, right? Um, you're not just that megaphone spewing out messages. Yeah, that, that just seems to be something that's I don't know, being talked about a lot. I, I'm a I'm an educator. Like I I lecture and run workshops about marketing all the time, and I feel like that's the thing I'm just trying to really change people's mindset around. Is like just stop shouting at people, you know, just talk to people. I mean, I I, I used the example the other day in a copywriting workshop. Like David Ogilvy said in the 1950s, write copy like you would say it to someone not like hyperbolic marketing speak. I mean, you said that 70 years ago and people are still doing it. It's crazy. But um, I think I think it's just what we think our job is as a marketer. Like, oh, I must get the megaphone out, you know, because um, I have to drive some results. Um, and so thinking about the way that we talk to people, is there a difference between the way that we ideally talk to people in email versus com- more conversational channels like social or like a, a website chat? widget or something yeah here at drift and kind of as i've seen myself and my own experience working in you know the kind of the tech and marketing industry for 10 years now there shouldn't be a difference you should write like you speak no matter who your buyer is because at the end of the day everyone's a person so you know if you were to meet you know say you're trying to target as a marketer maybe you're trying to reach like a chief marketing officer at a certain company how would you talk to them if you met them in person right at a conference that should be what your email sounds like. Some of the best compliments I've ever received is I actually went to um, an event here in San Francisco where I live recently. And someone said, oh, I think I'm on your email list. They send like from me, right? From Caitlin. Like your email sounds exactly like you. Like they talked to me for a little bit at an event. Like, well, that really sounded like you. It makes sense. And it, it should, you know, I'm not talking as informally as I might text my friends, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but you should always write like you speak and that good old adage of just read something out loud before you send it can be a really good barometer of like, okay, does this sound like whoever it's supposed to be sending from, you know, is this really going to resonate with a human or is it just stuffed full of like jargon and industry terms that make it really laborious to read? People don't read things with much depth anymore. I don't think in general, whether it's a website, an email or what have you. So it's better to just be as to the point as you can be. Um, and use the same language you would use if you were presenting at a conference or a trade show um, to talk about your brand and your problems. Absolutely. Um, do you think that extends to um, email subject lines, which is something I can't help but ask you about because you seem pretty well placed to give us some nuggets of insight around that? Completely. We have done a really extensive amount of heavy testing on subject lines, specifically here at Drift. I would say across all of our email programs right now, we probably have over a hundred of them running like lifetime right now to kind of test out what is that balance and how does it vary for different kinds of personas that we might be trying to reach, right? Um, And in general, our 
takeaways and some of the things that we've distilled and applied across all of those tasks is, again, write like you speak. People are people. They want to be communicated with as such. So start there, right? Don't lead with the full name of a very long-winded, you know, webinar title. Distill it down to like the main, how you describe that topic generally to just get someone's interest because the goal is really just to get them to click through and learn more at that point, right? You don't need to provide all that information in a super long subject line up front. We also find it works really well when you ask a question and include data or third-party touch points, right? Um, numbers, seriously, even if it's like the number five in an email that says like, you know, five best practices for something versus typing out the word five can make a huge difference. Or like 26% of marketers are doing this or something like that. Exactly. It adds like an element of social proof of like, okay, that's an interesting stat. I want to hear more. And it, again, makes it more skimmable when you have numbers because people aren't reading the word 26 written out. It can seem very obvious, but it works when you're using numbers just to kind of break up that line of text. It catches someone's attention, enables them to really understand it quickly and just get to the point of what is this email about and is it going to be relevant for me? Do I want to click through? Someone asked me the other day um, in a workshop, should they include the first name merge tag, um, you know, that dynamically populate the first name into a subject line? And I actually, I didn't know. I, 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 I wasn't sure what to say. What, what do you think about that? I might have a controversial opinion about it, and that's that you shouldn't do it. <laughs> I think that people are all too familiar with, with an email template that reads something like, hi, insert first name token at insert company name token. I've heard you're a insert job title here. Oftentimes your data is A, wrong, maybe, B, or outdated, right? Maybe they've got a new job or a new role recently and your data isn't updated to reflect that. Maybe you don't know it because of first-party data concerns and everything you've got there. So it renders oddly for someone and makes them feel like you know even less about them than you probably actually do. And C, it just feels really generic at this point, I think, because of a lot of marketers are doing that. If you do want to personalize a subject line, though, or an email copy, I always recommend doing it based on like behavior and action that someone's taken. That's oftentimes way more reflective of what they're actually going to be interested in and what they're going to click on, right? If that's your desired outcome as a marketer. Still enjoying our social media content calendar template or something like that, you mean? Exactly, right? Um, did you enjoy speaking us with us in like the city you were in at a certain event, right? Do you want to learn more best practices about this topic that they just downloaded an ebook on? Um, you can create the same kinds of dynamic fields and values in your marketing automation platform that you would for like first name, right? It could be topics of interest. And maybe if you download like a account-based marketing ebook, say on a website, maybe that value changes to ABM and you could insert that value into like an email body or subject line or just develop a customized program for that topic if you know it's valuable for your business. That's going to feel much more genuinely personalized in a very contextual way. And less like, where did you get this data? How do you know my name? You're going to get way less of those kind of annoyed responses and more like, oh, yeah, that is genuinely interesting and helpful. That's good. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, 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 I leaned towards that because my response was, well, well, if you look at the biggest e-commerce brands on the planet, like Nike, ASOS, etc., they don't do it. I've, I've really noticed that, like, by and large, they don't do that. They don't put my name in the subject line. And secondly, yeah, do I really trust the um, 
the, the tokens, as you call them, or the merge tags or whatever, not really, you know, uh, yeah. Um, so that is that is very interesting. Um, I suppose following on from that, because, yeah, I, I didn't, you know, you, you really are kind of doing this, testing this stuff at scale. So I'll dig in a bit deeper. Um, what, what are you finding about the actual content of emails like in terms of length, in terms of content, whether images and text or just text, keeping it really plain. Um, are there any kind of patterns that you're seeing there that work particularly well in the content of emails? That's a great question. And I, I think the the unhelpful answer is that honestly, it's really going to vary depending on what industry you're in, right? What the offer is in question, you know, that's really going to vary in terms of should I use HTML? Should I use plain text? Like if you're sending a newsletter, with a ton of different calls to action in it, you're probably going to benefit from like a longer form HTML style email. But holistically, on aggregate, I think centering back to this kind of big finding that we've had here at Drift and kind of see with a lot of our customers or other marketers out there in the world is that at the end of the day, people want to be treated like people. And we've seen that a simple plain text email actually can way outperform an HTM style email because if it's written like you speak, it can seem much more genuine and like a real email, right? Then something people open immediately and say, oh gosh, it's a catalog, it's a newsletter, delete, 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 delete. So for sometimes in some cases, I really recommend start A-B testing plain text versus HTML and you might be really surprised, especially for things like a webinar invitation, a campaign launch, some of those more straightforward messages that don't necessarily need a lot of text to them. Test that out. Start there. We've seen really incredible results in a lot of different use cases from just making that switch to a plain text email alone. And the bonus that's going to save your team a lot of time being able to just write plain text emails and schedule those versus designing a comprehensive HTML template. On the flip side, though, I think Anything you can do to make your emails more skimmable is going to work really well, too. Because in reality, people are usually reading their inbox on their phone, right? Maybe while they're commuting, taking a break, they're kind of scrolling and skimming through. You want to design your emails with that actual behavior in mind, right? So things like line breaks, almost like you're writing a movie script, can be really helpful because it's built for that level of skimmability. So including, again, things like numbers, bullet points really adding those intentional paragraph breaks between sentences, help people digest the content of your email very quickly. And it's gonna make you write shorter form copy as a result as well. So just practice again, getting to the point. You probably don't need five sentences to describe the content of a certain ebook, right? Or the topic of a podcast episode. You probably should be able to do it in one sentence, two sentences max anyway. If anything, this is going to be a forcing function to make sure you take a look at that in your copy editing process. Yeah, true. And it, you're right. It depends, doesn't it? I mean, I see a lot of creators who use platforms like ConvertKit. They send plain, like Neil Patel, you know, if you if you subscribe to his email, like it's completely plain text because he's sharing knowledge, someone like that. You, you don't need pictures. Uh, whereas obviously if it's um, a fashion brand, someone like Nike, um, then yeah, you want to see the product, you want to see models wearing the product. But again, it's incredibly minimal and it's straight to the point and um, and pithy. An image speaks a thousand words too sometimes, right? So don't shy away. Even if you are sending a plain text email, you can still use images in a plain text in, like email format, right? Or a link to a video or whatever you might be talking about. Um, but again, whatever you're doing, HTML, 
graphics, whatever, keep the copy really short. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I suppose at this point I have to ask, do you have any examples of brands, maybe brands that use Drift specifically? Like, do you have any case studies essentially of brands that are doing this particularly well and anything that you can talk about specifically that they're doing well? Immediately what comes to mind for me are the brands that seem to be thinking about email as just one touch point in a broader experience they're trying to build with you and are very contextual, again, based on that moment, content and actual behavior. Um, a great example, you know, here for me personally, right, and kind of that business to consumer B2C world is I do a lot of my grocery shopping at this grocery store called Whole Foods. Um, and somehow, some way, they definitely know what I've purchased and recommend to me in email recipes that involve ingredients I tend to purchase often. And I've actually made a ton of them and have subscribed to their recipe newsletter as a result of getting that email communication. They've definitely, you know, built a really strong pattern of engagement with me, right? And I, I shop there. So it's worked. Um, in terms of that email being very contextual versus, you know, spammy about a sale or maybe a promotion they're starting to run. I, I do get those too. But a lot of the communications I get from them are very intentional and I appreciate that. And I think you, there's no reason why you couldn't do something similar, again, if you were a B2B company too, right? If you know someone's visiting a certain landing page over and over and over again on your website, you could probably recommend related content to them to kind of get them to take that next step beyond that landing page, right? You know, if they're revisiting a certain book, you know, maybe they've got it bookmarked, right? Because it's so useful in their browser or tab. You can certainly think about how you could use email to be recommending related resources and content to them. Um, I also think that brands I really admire in the B2B world, one of them that's top of mind for me would be Gong, um, like a sales technology provider. They do a great job of not only really practicing what they preach and writing an email like you speak, it's very conversational, it's very useful, it's very helpful, but then that same messaging and language is carried post-click. So when you visit their website and you see the chat conversation that pops up on it, it's the same kind of messaging and problem statement that you clicked through on on the email. And that's just a great user experience in terms of when you click through, just immediately being like, okay, I'm in the right place. This is what I expected when I clicked through, right? The message matches there. And then the conversation you're starting with me in chat or conversational marketing on the side is also on that same topic. And maybe there you are greeting me by name because, you know, I clicked through on a very specific link on an email. Just a very seamless, frictionless user experience. I could imagine B2B companies specifically struggling with that, you know, because they might say, right, we've got to write our emails nice and conversationally, but no one's addressed the fact that their website is still really stiff and corporate. And there'd obviously be an obvious kind of, you know, jarring disconnect when you send people to the website. So that's a really good point, actually. Um, you know, landing pages absolutely do need to kind of, you know, keep that consistency. Um, so I'm curious about what Drift does, because I know that, you know, I, I know about Drift predominantly for the um, on-website chat functionality. Mm -hmm. um, is that, am I right? Is that what most people, is that what it kind of became famous for? Kind of, um, yeah. And then it's kind of broadened out into a suite of other products. So how do, what do all those other, th you don't have to be too comprehensive, but you know, what do all those other things do and how do they kind of augment 
Because you've hinted at some stuff like if someone visits a landing page, you email them. How do you do that? There must be some tracking technology that... So it'd be cool to just hear a little bit of a fleshed out picture of the other things that Drift does around the edges that kind of maybe bring it all together. Certainly, yeah. So Drift is a conversation cloud platform, which means that we help companies start conversations with their buyers in the moment of intent. So while someone is on your website, right, while they're reading your email, while they're talking to your sales rep, we want to be able to enable you as a marketer or a salesperson or a service, really anyone at your business to just start a conversation with someone there. So again, you can engage that buyer while they're thinking about you and while you're top of mind, understand what brought them there to that conversation and recommend the right next step to them. We do that through a pretty wide variety of solutions. So conversational marketing, chat, you know, kind of what you mentioned but also conversational sales of if they are on an email reply thread and they're really responding, getting back to, we want to loop in a sales rep as soon as possible into that conversation to kind of help get them that right information. And, you know, really, again, understand and recommend how you can help. Um, We've helped thousands of companies do this. And, you know, I, I think whether you are talking about chat, you're talking about email, any of the marketing channels, you can apply that concept of how could I use this marketing campaign to start a conversation with somebody, right? And how am I going to do that at some degree of scale? Um, We do offer some email functionality and tools as well that, again, if you do get replies to your emails, we can, you know, capture that data and feed it in across your digital marketing tech stack in a scalable way so you can provide those kinds of personalized multi-channel experiences, um, as kind of the next step, you know, once you are kind of, you know, moving forward with that more tailored email nurture strategy, it's a great next step to make sure it's all connected. Yeah, I see. Yeah. So a bit of kind of um, technological glue to make, to create more seamlessly personalized journeys for people, I suppose. Yeah. And just, you know, generate more conversations overall, right? Um, you can kind of really engage that passive traffic. You might get otherwise on your website, right? You know, you can start more conversation with your buyers, which leads to a lot more pipeline and revenue for businesses because you can jump in a lot sooner and before they might reach out to you to get a demo, right? Or request pricing or any, learn more about your product. You can certainly use Drift to really engage them and start that conversation way earlier on in the customer journey and then provide a great, you know, tailored experience thereafter. Yes, absolutely. So you're head of marketing at Drift today, and you've really worked your way up over the years from all the way from being a marketing intern. What have you learned along the way about building a career in marketing? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that one of the most important things I've learned right through my own career is to have a goal. And when you're deciding whether to undertake a project or change something or do something, always think about it like you're shooting towards a target of like, is that, you know, going to help me achieve this goal? Or is it something that would be really interesting, but maybe very unrelated to what I'm trying to do? And I I think that's true when you're at work, right? Thinking about, should I build this email program? You know, is it going to help me accomplish this end goal I have of generating a certain amount of pipeline for the business or professionally, right? you know, hey, if I really want to lead a digital marketing or demand generation function, what are the kinds of skills I'm going to need to really achieve that goal? And what might that mean in terms of, you know, professional development that I might need to seek out, right? Things I might need to learn, um, questions I want to ask, they're going to help me get there versus maybe some side projects that you can end up getting really distracted by. I think having a goal 
is a great place to start. And with that, just like being curious, you know, recognizing that you need to learn and grow every single day. No one knows all the answers 100% of the time, right? Especially in digital marketing where things are changing every single year in terms of what technology can do, what kinds of experiences to provide. You've got to stay curious and always wanting to learn from what's out there, also the people on your team, other people at your company, kind of your network, you know, podcasts like this, seeking out those learning moments to kind of help you challenge yourself in terms of, am I doing this just because it's how I've always done things? Or am I doing it because it's actually going to be aligned towards the goal and kind of in line with trends happening in the future? I think that's what keeps it interesting. I think I think marketing naturally attracts curious people because for me, it would be really boring if it was always the same and it, it wasn't always changing, right? Completely. It's the best part, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course it is. But I think the flip side is because there's no like one marketing manual that's like gathering dust over the decades <laughs> and has always been the same. There's no like one static way to do marketing. I do think that it's also an industry that's plagued by imposter syndrome uh, because you never really know if you're doing it right. And you never really know like, am I the real deal or <laughs> am I just faking it or what? Yeah. I mean, was there a point in your career where you suffered from imposter syndrome and was there a point where you know you overcame that you may not have done yet I mean who knows but <laughs> certainly I think I'd assume a lot of the marketers out there would agree in terms of imposter syndrome is something you know I've certainly been challenged with over my career right and I think you know a lot of other people have too one um, boss I had pretty early on in my career did a great job of kind of reminding me of like whenever you feel that way Take a step back and look at the bigger picture in terms of the impact your work has had, whether you're looking at, you know, a data point from an A-B test you ran where you're, you know, not seeing the point and you're feeling like your recommendations are coming out of nowhere, grounded in data always. And take a step back and just remind yourself kind of what you've really done so far. And it's, you know, a very reality that no one knows the answer 100% of the time. So don't hold yourself to that standard either. The best you can do is kind of just make the best decision you can with the data you have available, right? Seek answers to questions you don't know. Ask for help when you need it. But that's what everyone does, you know, kind of at a certain level of their career. And it, again, can sound really simple, but I think the imposter syndrome can build and build and build if you don't remind yourself like, okay, the expectation isn't that I'm going to have the 100% right answer to every question or situation I'm in. It's that you learn how to kind of navigate that situation you know, seek answers from those who can help. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, that that was um, I think that was really good advice actually from from that person that you worked with there um, about looking at the impact of what you're actually doing, the impact of your work, the results of your work. Um, we can we can lose sight of that. Um, what advice would you give to an intern in 2022 looking to grow into digital marketing roles? I think it would be to seek a role that's going to enable you to get exposure to as many areas of marketing as possible. Um, you will never regret understanding, you know, how good marketing content is created, even if you're not a content marketer. Um, having spent time working in like a little bit of content marketing, public relations, event marketing really helps me today as a demand generation and digital marketer, because I truly understand how the strategies can connect to each other, Right. It's going to enable you fast forward five, 10 years from now, which may seem like so far in the future, you can't really think about it. 
that experience you build early on in your career is really going to enable you to develop more thoughtful, encompassing, integrated strategies. Like, you know, having built so many nurtures and email programs earlier on in my career really helps me understand now, even as the world has changed, right, with this rise of personalization and first-party data, everything we've been talking about today, you kind of get the fundamentals enough to really recommend something very thoughtful um, and also help your team, right? in terms of skills development and how it might actually translate to actions or programs you can run. So seek the widest variety of experience possible. It's okay. If you don't like some things, you know, happens to everybody, but that will start to enable you to understand, all right, here's what I love most. Here's what I'm really good at. How do I double down and seek more opportunities to do that thing while still developing some skills you just need, right? To kind of move forward and advance in your career in other areas. There's certainly a bar with that, but yeah, seek as much exposure to different kinds of marketing as possible and, you know, ask questions to smart people. Mm, I absolutely agree on that, actually. And I think these days careers aren't as linear as they used to be. You know, so if if a fashion brand is hiring for a marketing manager, yeah, they, they don't necessarily just want someone who's only ever worked in fashion and only ever done marketing in fashion. If you, people hire the they, they, they welcome the difference. Oh, you've worked in fashion, but you've also worked in TV. Hmm, why is that interesting and useful? And, you know, it, keep, it makes people think. Or, oh, you've worked in marketing, but you've also worked in sales. And how's that? In, you know, and um, I do think that makes you a more interesting candidate. So I, I really agree with you there. I think that's a good, a good point, good advice. Um, what are three things that our listeners could do immediately after listening to this podcast episode to get more out of their email marketing. One, read your email templates out loud and make sure they sound like how you speak, right? Are they very confusing and full of jargon or is it very clear, direct, and to the point? Step one. Step two would be to really then look at your email programs and look at the audiences for those programs. Are you recommending CTAs and offers that are actually relevant to that audience or just something that you really want to promote internally? There's a big difference between the two. Sometimes it's the same answer. Sometimes you are going to have that quote unquote megaphone effect and you might not realize it if you're just promoting what you want to promote and not what might actually be useful to your audience. Um, And third would be stand up some post-click nurtures. You know, use email as a channel that's going to help you nurture leads after the point of conversion and think through like, all right, if these are my top offers, it's these three. What are some really simple email nurture experiences you could stand up to really re-engage those people and suggest, you know, kind of more helpful content to them? That'll help you, you know, really build more pipeline directly from your email program, right? And also just to develop much more of a relationship with all of your buyers. Yes. Great advice. Thank you. Well, look, thank you so much for your time and your insight, Caitlin. It's been a really fascinating conversation. I've certainly learned loads. Um, So I do appreciate that. I've just got one last question for you. Tell our listeners uh, where they can find you and connect with you and also find out more about Drift online. Yeah, it was really awesome talking with you too today, Will. Um, You can always find me on LinkedIn, Caitlin Seeley. Um, You can email me, cseeley at drift.com. And definitely check out Drift. Our website's drift.com. You can listen to us on our Conversation Startups podcast, um, which is wherever... You might listen to podcasts, Conversation Starters. Um, we really talk a lot about that rise of personalization and kind of trends in marketing. So it's a really great spot to learn more about Drift. 
um, and also just hear from some really talented marketers out there. That's great. Well, thank you so much again and um, look forward to one day chatting to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Yeah, you too, Will. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about transforming your marketing career through certified online training, head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com. Thanks for listening.